Section two of the Rover, Volume One, Number Twenty Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ginny Rosario, The Rover, Volume One, Number Twenty Five, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section two: Yankee Notions by Samuel Kettle. Boston, Boston. Seems to me I've heard that name before. Very likely you have, dear reader. I heard of it years and years ago. It's a very considerable sort of a place, I assure you. Well, it's quite a pretty picture anyhow, but isn't Boston a sort of Yankee place? Yes, to be sure it is. Boston is to the universal Yankee nation what London is to the universal British Empire. Boston is the headquarters of Yankee land, and embodies the pure spirit of Yankeeism, the very quintessence, purified, boiled down, refined. There is no place in the world more refined, but it is Yankee refinement. There is no place more learned, but it is Yankee learning, sound, practical, and very diffusive, pervading the whole body politic. There is no place of its age more wealthy, and that is the result of what is commonly called Yankee Enterprise. Well now, Mr. Editor, what sort of folks is these Yankees? I've often heard tell of them, but do give us a little insight into their character. Well, here's a clever chapter by a clever writer, direct to the point. Take it and read it at your leisure. Yankee Notions by Samuel Kettle Yankee Land or the New England portion of the United States, does not make a great figure in the map of the American Republic, yet the traveler who leaves it out of his route can tell little what the Americans are. It is in New England that you find Jonathan at home. In the other states there is a mixture, greater or less, of foreign population, but in New England the population is homogeneous and native. The emigrant does not settle there, the country is too full of people, while the more fertile soil of the West holds out superior attractions to the stranger. It is no lubberland. There is no getting half a dollar a day for sleeping in Massachusetts or Vermont. The rocky soil and rough climate of this region require thrift and industry in the occupant. In the West, he may scratch the ground, throw in the seed, and leave the rest to nature. But here his toil must never be remitted, and as valor comes of Sherris, so doth prosperity come of industry. While the Yankees are themselves, they will hold their own, let politics twist about as they will. They are like cats, throw them up as you please, they will come down upon their feet. Shut their industry out from one career, and it will force itself into another. Dry up twenty sources of their prosperity, and they will open twenty more. They have a perseverance that will never languish, while anything remains to be tried. They have a resolution that will try anything if need be. And when a Yankee says, I'll try, the thing is done. It is remarkable that the descendants of the rigid and, as we are apt to call them, bigoted Puritans should have become the most tolerant in religion of all the American people. There is a liberty of conscience, it is true, throughout the Union, but religious prejudice is mighty in many parts. In Boston, the severe and straight-laced Calvinism of former times has disappeared. 
the Unitarians now formed the largest sect in the city, and, as is well known, number in their ranks some of the ablest men in the Western world. With this sect, there is no intolerance. The opposing sects have learned forbearance from their example, and the odium theologicum has lost its bitterness here. The Yankee is cool, cautious, and calculating. He wants a reason for everything. An old prejudice is no obstacle in his way of improvement. His opinions must rest upon solid, tangible ground. His religion must be a religion of the understanding. He is not credulous. He is not enthusiastic. There are no Catholics in New England, save a few foreigners, and there never will be any. A New Englander is eminently a religious man, but his religion never will be a religion of ceremonies. In European countries, he that is born a peasant will be a peasant all his life. His chance of forming an exception to the rule is exceedingly small. But on beholding the most rustical clown of all Yankee land, it would not be safe to affirm that he would not be numbered at some future day among the most eminent men of the country. There is no burying a man of genius here. The humblest birth shuts out no one either from the hopes or the facilities of rising to that station for which his native talent has qualified him. Rare indeed is it to find an individual who cannot read and write. Every one has, therefore, that modicum of knowledge placed within his reach which will enable him to obtain more, should his wishes aspire. Clowns, properly speaking, there are none among the Yankees. A Yankee is emphatically a civil man, though his civility may not produce all the bows and grimaces and unmeaning compliments which accompany or constitute that quality among the French. Rudeness of manners could be charged against these people only by those who know nothing about them. Countries, says Goldsmith, wear very different appearances to persons in different circumstances. A traveler who is whirled through Europe in a post-chaise and a pilgrim who walks the grand tour on foot will form very different conclusions. Now, sundry people have been whirled from Boston to New York in a mail-coach and said, I know not what about manners. I have traveled over the New England states on foot, over highways and byways, supped in the most splendid hotels and the most paltry inns, entered every farmer's door that offered as a resting place, and crossed any man's garden or cornfield or orchard that lay in my way without receiving an uncivil word on my whole route. On one occasion I lost myself in the woods among the green mountains of Vermont, where I imagined there was no living creature to be encountered for miles except black bears, catamounts, and similar country gentlemen. But on a sudden I emerged from the wood into an open spot where stood a log hut, a little flaxen-headed urchin espied me coming, and began to scramble with all speed to hide himself, as I supposed. But no, it was to gain the summit of an immense log of wood, which lay by the little pathway, where he greeted me as I passed, with as profound a bow as I ever received. In traveling over the kingdom of Naples, and contemplating the wonders of that favored land, its fertile soil, its genial climate, its admirable capacities for commerce, and the sloth and ignorance of its population, its beggars and its brigands, I have been struck with the whimsical imagination of the scene that might ensue were a plain Yankee taken from his plow-tail and placed on the throne of the two Sicilies. 
His Majesty would begin a regular overhaul of the whole body politic the morning after his coronation. What's this I see, says the king? Where are your overseers of the highways, your school committees, your selectmen? What idle fellows are these in the streets? What are these bells ringing for every day? What means this crowd of ships lying behind the mole with nothing to do? Or this marina, the water's edge of my great city, where I see no piles of merchandise, no trucks, nor dray carts, driving about with goods, nor half the business doing in a month that is done on Boston Long Wharf in two hours. Come, bustle, occupy, set the lazzaroni to work upon the roads, send the children to school, make a railroad here and a turnpike there, bridge this river and canal that, hang the Calabrian robbers, give the monks a rouse, go into the churches and strip me those trumpery shrines, sell the gold and silver jewels with which they are heaped, and the interest of the money will support all the poor in the kingdom, for I'll have no beggars nor idlers while my title is Jonathan the First. People shall mind their business, for I will abolish these festas, which come every other day, and are good for nothing but to promote idleness. Henceforth there shall be no festas but fast, thanksgiving, and independence. Set me up a newspaper in every town, Take me the census of the population. Fine every district that don't send a representative to the general court. I'll have everything thrashed and sent a bucking, even to the vernacular speech, for dulce farniente shall be routed from the Italian. End of section 2